you really need to be able to tell them that you really want to work there and that they should choose you over somebody else you've got to show that passion because otherwise they won't know remember if you've got to the interview stage that's because they like you so far they liked your paper application the firm liked it they thought that you could fit in the culture now that's the time to actually show them that you can really fit in the work there Hello everyone and welcome to the Student Lawyer podcast series. Whether you're at school, sixth form, university, thinking about a career in law or exploring law careers, you're in the right place. We are the one-stop shop for student lawyers. If you'd like to join the Student Lawyer as a writer, please email hello at thestudentlawyer.com. This episode is sponsored by the University of Law. What really sets the University of Law apart from other universities is its belief that its students should learn in a realistic, professional and contemporary context. They focus exclusively on practice-based training and give students access to their extensive career service and jobs vacancy database as soon as they accept a place with them. Through the University of Law's pro bono programme, law students can hone their skills by working on real cases before they graduate. The University of Law offers a range of postgraduate legal training and master's degrees designed by qualified experts to help students advance at any stage of their career. Their courses are employment focused, honing key skills in a teaching environment based on real legal practice. Part-time and online study options are also available on many of their courses to help students work and study at the same time. To find out more about the courses on offer, click the link in the description box of the podcast. Welcome to the Student Lawyer podcast series. My name is Camilla and I'm an LPC student at the University of Law and a future trainee solicitor. In today's episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Ikra Ali, current paralegal who's accepted two vacation scheme offers recently from, from top law firms. Ikra is also founder of Legal Diversity, a platform which is set up to promote diversity in the legal profession. Um, so without further ado, let's welcome Ikra onto the show. Welcome, welcome Ikra. Thank you so much for joining us at this early hour on a Sunday. That's all right. Thanks so much for inviting me today. <laughs> no problem. So um, before we get into the questions, we've started a new feature on the Student Lawyer podcast, um, which is called Two Truths and a Lie, Legal Edition. Now, it's just meant to be a bit of fun. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you three laws which are a little bit bizarre but two of them are actually laws which are in force in England and Wales and one of them is not. So let's see um, how well you know the laws of England and Wales. (laughs) (laughs) Right, so the first one, you must carry a bale of hay in your vehicle at all times. Right, that's the first law. It is illegal for a lady to eat chocolates on public transport. And then the third one, it is illegal to fall asleep lying down in a cheese shop. What? <laughs> Which one do you wait? Wait, one of them is true. Two of them are actual laws, and one of them is not a law in England or Wales. Okay, so the the bit about eating chocolate on public transport—that's <laughs> BS. <laughs> that's not well, true. If, it, if it's true, then I've broken the law like every single week, pretty much. Wait, that's real. I'm not going to tell. Well, we're not going to tell oh, okay. you at the end of the right, show. So, so, are you saying two are false? No, one is false. So you need to you need to basically decide which one is false, and then I'll reveal it at the end of the show. Okay. All right. I think I've decided. Go on. <laughs> um, yeah. So the uh, mm, eating chocolate in public transport. I think is that was the false one. Okay. Yeah, I think that's false. Awesome. Okay. Yeah, well, we will find out at the end of the show. So, um, yeah, to all the watchers on YouTube and listeners on the podcast platforms, stick around to the end of the show and you will find out. Um, But the cheese one, if that's real, you've got to be kidding me. Oh, my God. I will be breaking the law as a lawyer. (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> Disclaimer, I'm an aspiring lawyer. I just said lawyer because I've done law, law school, but that yeah. doesn't mean I'm a lawyer. I just want to make, right. <laughs> make that's that like, Actually, isn't the definition of lawyer quite wide anyway? Like, it does is, it just mean someone who is involved somehow in a law? I don't know. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So let's get into the questions. Um, yeah. Could you please give the listeners an overview of your education and career history to date? Yes. 
Um, so I did the um, did, well, I did the LLB at um, University of Exeter um, from 2015 to 2018. I graduated, and then I did an internship with um, Blackfriars Chambers in London. So I worked with barristers, um, even though I, I knew I wanted to be a solicitor. I still took that opportunity because um, I just felt you could get so many transferable skills. So I thought, why not? And also I hadn't had a training contract lined up. So I thought, okay, I'm pretty much open to opportunities. Let me just um, get whatever I can. So I did that for about, um, I think it was like eight months. And then I did the LPC at University of Law, also the Exeter campus, because I loved Exeter as a city and also had a, had a lot of friends there. So I thought I'd stay there um yeah and then after that so I've just recently finished the OPC and now I'm a paralegal at um IPG it's a global company um and I'm specializing in media law which is very very interesting um yeah that's me wow, interesting media law that that does sound interesting so congratulations on securing two vacation schemes and what's been hailed as one of the most competitive cycles of all time pretty much because of the pandemic um, so what I wanted to just find out from you is what do you think enabled you to see so much success this cycle? Um, is there anything that you did differently, perhaps the cycle before? What, what do you what do you think? Yeah. Do you know what? I'm actually so proud that this this was the year that I secured the vacation schemes in, because like you said, it's been such a difficult year. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what I did differently was I attended way more client events and grad- basically way more firm events when I say client events I'll explain what I mean by that in a sec but I attended way more firm events than I did ever before and um so not only the graduates not only the the student events but also the um the client events so those were events that firms held for for clients basically you know in um just firms sort of exploring their practice areas, telling them what's telling clients um, the issues that were coming up in the law, you know, basic commercial awareness. I was attending those as a student. You were allowed to, even though they were targeted at clients. And I think that really helped me because when Osborne Clark, for example, um, one of the firms that I secured a vacation scheme at, when they asked me, why us? I was actually able to say that you specialize in technology, you specialize in energy, um, you know, you're doing X, Y, Z to grow your sector. Uh, and I feel those those are really important. And I felt those were great answers because um, they were like, they were nodding. They they really said, to, at the end of the, the whole interview, they said to me, oh, you really, you sound like you've really done your research. And I didn't just say things like, oh, the trainee intake is um you know moderate of, of a moderate size I never said things like that I said more more than just that basically I talked about the practice areas which is something I gained from those events and I wouldn't have gained that knowledge otherwise so I think attending those events was was key for me and also I spoke to a lot of trainees associate and partners um which I approached through LinkedIn and I felt that, that was I can't emphasize how important that was for my applications because when I spoke to partners I asked them like in the life sciences sector, one of one of the um, one of the partners was specialising in that sector. So I said, "What strategies are you adopting to grow your sector?" And then he said, "Oh, we're doing lateral hires. We're doing, you know, all sorts of things." And I basically brought that into my interview, and I said, "The fact that you're growing your sector through X, Y, Z shows that you're really wanting you really want to expand this area." And this is a kind of firm I want to work at because I want to work I want to work with a firm that has a growth mindset, etc. So I felt like those two things like primarily those two things. So speaking to lawyers, associates and partners, um, like on the phone and also attending those events. I would wait, wait, literally wake up at like 9am for these events, you know, just because I wanted to know more about the firm and I wanted to sort of say those things in my application form as well. So those two things have been key and absolute paramount to my application this year. I didn't do that last year or the years before. And that's probably why I didn't get the, the, the vacation scheme offers before. But th- definitely this was this was different. And I would highly recommend those two approaches. That's really interesting. Um, I don't think I've heard really many people talk about doing that. Um, you know, I think we all understand that you have to research a firm and you have to tailor your application to a firm. Yeah. But I think the resources that, that are out there are tend to be quite samey if everyone's using the same sort of resources then then applications aren't really going to stand out and I think that what you've done is you've gone that one step further you've attended client events and I, I think that's definitely something not something that someone who's going to you know decide to apply to the firm on the 
last day of the application process, they're not going to have time to do that. So it it automatically differentiates your application from everyone else's. So I think that's that's really good advice. And it does give you that insight that you wouldn't have from, you know, unless you attended these sorts of events. Um, and yeah, yeah I think that's really brilliant advice. Um, like we so tend to say, that. make sure you research the firm, make sure you tailor your application. Yeah. People always say to do that, but no one says how to do that. So this yeah. is how to do that. Like speak to people from the firm, um, try to attend as many firm events as you can, whether they're student events or client events, you know, they're great. Um, yeah, just the more interaction you have with the firm, the more understanding you'll have of that firm. And that's how you tailor your application. Otherwise, it's very hard to actually demonstrate that. Definitely. And do you think that was sort of made easier by the fact that everything was online? Do you think that you were actually able to attend more things? Oh, 100%. Yes. In um, in autumn 2020, so just like from October to December, yeah. Osborne Clark was holding so many graduate events and part of that series was basically an event on each of their sectors and I attended every single one of those and that's only because it was online I wouldn't have been able to go to central London every time otherwise Um, and same with the with the client events that um, these firms hold they were at 9am in the morning and I would wake up it would be okay for me to do that because you know I've just got a desk here so it's fine whereas I wouldn't be able to go to central London at nine no (laughs) for for an event (laughs) it would be very hard (laughs) yeah it would be yeah definitely um, and in terms of approaching partners and, and people like that on LinkedIn, what was your approach there? Did you, yeah, how did you approach that? Because I think many people who are listening are probably maybe a bit daunted, but, you know, find yeah. that daunting. So how did you yeah. do that? Of course. So I just said, um, I said, hey, you know, X, Y, Z, whatever your name is. I, I just said, I'm applying to um, so-and-so firm. Um, and I just had some quick questions. It was that, would it be okay for us to... Um, just talk them through and then some of them said yeah I can give you a call just email me your like your availability and some of them just said um yeah sure just ask me away so some questions I asked online just by typing them but some of them some partners trades and associates actually were willing to um have a phone call with me um so yeah it really just depends on which approach they want to take but just if you want to obviously start for the first time and ask them whether they've got time just say I'm applying to xyz firm and I had some questions um would it be okay if we could just you know have a little conversation about them and that's it and very a lot of them are willing to I mean I've had partners that said yes so that's not not just one I've, I've spoken to a few so they really do take their time out to speak to you I've yeah I think people in the legal industry I don't know about any other industry because yeah I don't have much experience in any other but everyone you know everyone seems to be really really helpful so um yeah that doesn't really surprise me that the people are willing to help um but just going a little bit deeper on on that so the types of questions that you would ask them just to be clear for everyone who's listening would those be questions that you could easily find on the website or would you want to show like a, a layer of research before you've already before you've asked those questions do you know what I mean like what would be yeah. the, the level of question you would ask them definitely I feel like there are certain questions that you ask trainees specific questions that you ask associates and very specific questions that you ask partners like you can't ask partners about I don't know, like training level stuff. You can't do that. You know, it, no. So I sort of, you, you've got to be really smart about it. So I asked partners what strategies they're adopting to grow their, to grow their sector. Mm. And I asked them about their transition from being an associate to becoming a partner, because I really want, I was quite interested in that. Those are, those are questions that not everyone asks. Yeah. So I felt like um, those are quite different questions. And then for trainees, I asked them about Yes, about the culture, but I feel that that's a question that's not over asked about, you know, about the culture. So I felt like there were other ways um, of, of asking that question, but still finding out about the culture. So I would ask about the feedback process, how often they get feedback and how is the um, the support system? So some of them were very specific. They said about trainee buddies and they said, oh, you get a trainee buddy, you get a partner buddy, you get an associate buddy or something then you get you know some of them go very specific and that's how you learn about the culture anyway like you don't have to specifically ask oh how's the culture I feel like that's um that's quite a vague question sometimes so I sort of just made it very specific and said how often do you get feedback and all that stuff and then for associate um associates I just asked them about their the kind of work that they're doing at the moment um the challenges oh yeah I always ask about the challenges when I spoke to trainees and associates I said what's what's been the most challenging 
thing about your role. And that's quite important to me because I wanted to step into a world or step into a professional world knowing what I'm stepping into. So yes, you know, they spoke about the challenges about long hours and all that, but we know that. So but then there were some things that I didn't know. So things like um, sometimes you open your laptop and you're given work that you have absolutely no clue on and this still happens as an associate and then you've got to research as if it's day one like you're you're back to square one doing the whole thing from scratch um so I felt that's something I needed to know and now I'm very aware of that so you know when I hopefully get a training contract I'll know that okay just because I'm into my third seat doesn't mean I'll know it all no there will be times where I'll be, be like oh god I don't know this let me start from you know, square one again. And that's something I found out from the conversations. So that, yeah, those questions really have to be specific. Don't ask stuff that is online, stuff like your grave requirements or stuff that you can ask HR. You know, your questions really need to be specific and just tailored to those particular people. So questions about challenges, highlight of the role. um, What do you think about the teamwork aspect? How often do you interact with your um, supervisor? Those things are great, great to know. And you can sort of feel about the culture as well that way. That's great. Like that insight into, you know, how you approach that is, I think, really valuable um, because, yeah, I remember when I was sort of approaching people, yeah, I would just make an effort to really try and make the questions very specific. And like you said, not something you could find online because, Um, these people are busy and whilst they do want to help um, I think you do need to show you do need to show that you're like serious about finding out more I think Um, so it sounds like you put a lot of effort into each and you know into your applications Um, did that limit the number that you were able to make like I know there's a bit of a discussion and, and students and aspiring solicitors are often thinking well how many applications should I make should I be making lots of applications should I be making like a f- you know five mm. what what was your approach in relation to this yeah I made about seven to eight I couldn't make any more because yeah. I just felt like I wouldn't be giving them the attention that they deserved mm-hmm. and I felt like this was the year where um I sort of had a gut feeling that if you tailor your applications really well then you'll get it so but but that was just a gut feeling obviously I wouldn't be able to sort of realize that if I hadn't um like dedicated that time so no I I wasn't I wasn't able to have any more time than seven to eight applications and I think that's that's highly recommended I think some people they say make 20 or 30 applications and stuff but I think the more applications you make um I feel like the more the, the the greater the likelihood of them getting rejected because you won't be able to spend enough time on them because you'll be you'll sort of be looking at it as as a numbers game you'll be like okay to make 15 applications let me just go for it 15 applications it won't be tailored you won't be able to you know spend your time speaking to to people from them from from the firm etc and i just felt for me personally of course people have different approaches and that's totally fine some people might have got a training contract after 30 applications that's fine but for me um i felt just making seven to eight applications meant I could actually spend good time talking to Osborne Clark employees and CMS um, employees and, you know, attend events from, from like Dentons and things like that, aspiring solicitors events that were targeted at firms like BCLP, Dentons, etc. I felt I, I had the time to attend those because I only I was only making seven to eight applications, no more than that, personally. Yeah, I, I definitely think that's a good approach. Um, especially when you need to put that level of, of research in, in, into that. Um, and applications take a long time. I I think people say, oh, they take up to nine hours or something like that. I, I mean, I, I think they take way longer. I, I think they do. I think they take way longer. <laughs> yeah. God, I know. One of my mentors actually said to me that your application should take no longer than two days. And I'm just like, oh, no. like how can you do, how can you say no. that? I mean, I think that's very subjective because some people take weeks on application and that's okay. If you need to take weeks, that's okay. If, if, because if you're spending weeks on just like getting to know the firm, speaking to them, and then, you know, changing your answers, redrafting your answers, that's fine. But then some people just say, maybe take about two, three days, which is why that mentor said, you know, to take two days, but I couldn't do that. No. Yeah. My, my third ever application, which is the one where I got to assessment center, the first two were rejected and then I was like, you know what? This one's going to get me to assessment centre. So I spent two months on it. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> God. I know. My first application. You know yes. 
Oh God. It was just crazy. But I got there because I put the most amount of effort ever into that application. And I was like, if this gets rejected, then I just don't even know what to say. And Oh, yeah. 100%. I know. I felt like that too. I was like, hey, right, if I don't get a vacation scheme this year, I wouldn't have known what to say. Honestly, I was... Um, it was so disheartening at the time because I was like, oh God, I've spent so much, so many hours on this, so many days. I need to get oh, somewhere. With to get to, when you're handing in your applications, you need to be at that level where you actually think, yes, this is actually going to get me to assessment centre. If you're thinking, oh, I'm not sure if I've done enough, blah, 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 then I would say you could probably do more. Like, I don't know if that sounds harsh, but 100%. No, no, the applications no, no. I handed in where I was like, I know I'm, this, is, this is a good application. Yeah. Yeah. Generally. Congratulations to you. <laughs> Thank you. But that's what I mean. That you have to put that that's how much effort you have to put into each application. You, you for me, I couldn't just put nine hours application nine hours work into it and think, oh, this is, this one's great. Like I had yeah. to literally pour my heart and soul into some some of them. Not all of them, I'll be honest. Totally. Totally. No, I, I, I couldn't do that. I had to spend like you know, sometimes it would take me a week to do it, sometimes more than that. Like Osmo Clark took me months. And um, that's because from like September to December, I was just attending events, getting to know the firm. I hadn't drafted fully my answers. I was just, you know, here and there. Um, but yeah, it, it, it varies. Um, and yeah, so what are your top tips for writing a winning vacation scheme application? I think we've really touched on this a little bit with the with the research, yeah. but yeah, if you could kind of go into that a bit. Yeah, sure. Now, you know what? Some people actually say not to name drop, and they say when you speak to people from firms, don't mention their name. Um, somebody I was speaking to just the other day actually mentioned that somebody from um, a well-known firm, he's an associate, he said not to put anyone's name on the application and that if he, if he was reading it, he would have rejected it and stuff like that. But do you know what? I think that's very subjective. That opinion is very subjective. Me personally, I have put down everyone's name. Okay, not everyone because I couldn't, but um, as, as many names as I could possible on the application form, I put down. And that was because um, firms like Osmond Clark wanted to see that you have spoken to their people and you've tried to understand the firm and stuff like that and that's because I actually spoke to graduate recruitment and they said yeah tell us who you've spoken to so I put down the names on the application forms same with CMS I mentioned the partner I spoke to I mentioned the trainees and because they're the people I found out about the secondments from they're the they're the people I found out about the challenges from so I felt like name it wasn't just name dropping I wasn't just saying I spoke to Jack and just to show off no it was because I wanted to sort of support the fact that I had this information from somebody at the um, at the firm, and somebody had told me told me this, and they worked at the firm. So I'm I'm sort of giving. I mentioned those people's names because I wanted to show them that the information I was putting down on the application was authentic, was credible, and that I had I had received this information from somebody who works at the firm. So I feel like um, mentioning someone's name on the application form is great. I mean, it worked for me like twice so um yeah but I think that's very subjective please ask graduate recruitment what they think of this because I feel like it's very firm subjective if somebody else from another firm has said not to do that another tip I would say yeah I feel like we very we've sort of touched upon this um in terms of your research um I feel like oh yeah when you also mention anyone you've spoken to also put down how you got in touch with them so when I um mentioned trainees that I spoke to let's say trainee Harry or something I said um when I spoke to trainee Harry through LinkedIn I meant I we discussed it and that that showed that I had sort of taken an active approach to um speak to them via LinkedIn because not everyone uses LinkedIn these days of course it's becoming a huge trend but um still you know people aren't very comfortable in um approaching people on LinkedIn for um for a conversation so the fact that I mentioned that just sort of helped um and also any events that you um attend please mention them even legal cheek events please please mention them um because that's that's also very very handy these firms actually spend quite a lot of money time and effort on these events and they want to know that when you're attending them they obviously want to know that you've sort of benefited from them so I mentioned legal cheek events you know it might sound all legal cheek such a student event why should I mention that but no please do please mention them it's very very important that you also mention where which event you you attended and um if possible when so like May 2017 or May 2020 that really helps 
yeah, I think those two. And the rest is probably just cliche stuff like research and all that stuff that we've just talked about. Before we get into the second half of the episode, I'd like to take this opportunity to talk about the sponsors of today's show and the law school that I chose to study my LPC at, and that's the University of Law. The University of Law believes in training students for the real world from the moment they accept a place. Their experienced career service and award-winning pro bono clinics offer students the chance to get real-life experience from the start. They offer a range of postgraduate legal training and master's degrees designed by qualified experts to help students advance at any stage of their career. Their courses are employment-focused, honing key skills in a teaching environment based on real legal practice. Part-time and online study options are also available on many of their courses to help students work and study at the same time. To find out more about the courses on offer, click the link in the description box of the podcast. When you say legal cheek events, would you put that in the work experience section or the main section of your application? And yeah. Yeah. Um, for my application with Osborne Clark, I put it in the main body of the application because okay. when it said, why Osborne Clark? Um, then I wanted to say that they've got an expertise in technology. And I knew that from legal cheek. The, the events that I that I attended so I said that when I attended Legal Cheeks event called and I mentioned the name um and then I said I learned that you know xyz I learned that the firm sort of specialize in technology and this is an area I want to go into da, da, da. that's why I mentioned Legal Cheek event um in the main body of the application but of course that, that sort of varies I think it really depends on the word count as well because Osborne yeah. Clark had 500 words I think that was that was ample space for me to actually write legal cheek and stuff like that. But if you don't have space, work experience is equally fine. Firms actually look at those as well. Yeah, brilliant. Um, and I think the thing about name dropping is a good point. Like, I think dropping a name in for the sake of it isn't always the right thing to do. But if yeah. you've got a, a credible reason for why you're bringing that name up, then then definitely... Yeah, it it sounds a lot better, not like you're just trying to shoehorn names in. That's right. Yeah, but like you said, ask graduate recruitment about their approach because some people might not like it. Um, Okay, so what advice do you have for preparing for vacation scheme interviews? Um, Okay, so right, tip one. People say be yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like it should be be your best self and but also be your original self. So what I mean by that is, like me, I love to use my hands in real life. Um, if you were to see me in person, I use my hand. I'm very energetic. And I felt that um, that was something that I sort of brought to both interviews this time. Last time I didn't do that. I was very stiff, very, I don't know what it was about me. I think it was my first first interview. So I was like very scared. But the second round, I was using my hands. I was, you know, very excited about it. Obviously, inside I was shaking. I was like, oh, God, I need this. But um, I didn't show that. I was very, uh, like, I was appearing to be confident. So they wouldn't be able to tell I was, like, nervous. Of course, you're nervous. They know that. But try not to show that as much as you can. So be your best self. If you use your hands, use them in your interview. Now, again, this is very subjective. But I spoke to graduate recruitment, like, in loads of firms, with Baker McKenzie, um, Osborne Clark, CMS. um, And I spoke to them about the whole usage of hands because I tend to use them but if they don't want that because some firms don't want that that's fine I would have just kept them under my bum um <laughs> but they said that no Osborne Clark said that, use your hands um you know we're able to see your personality so I was like okay so I I use my hands but some firms don't like it yeah. so you sort of got to keep them off camera um yeah so I feel like if you're if you're a very energetic person please use them you're still laughing is it the, is it the bum bit <laughs> I just I just love the fact that you asked graduate recruitment about the hands like I just think that oh. just shows like such a level of detail that you're thinking about all these things I was worried yeah I think it's really really admirable I'm you know I'm not laughing I'm just like in awe basically of how detail orientated you you were in this process about how you thought about everything from your hands to you know all the usual yeah, things so that we need to think about I think it's brilliant <laughs> So yeah, no, yeah, everything was so virtual and I felt yeah. like on camera you couldn't hundred percent see your personality yeah. unless you actually show it. Like mm-hmm. even now you would only be able to see I, I don't know if you could tell I'm energetic. I am actually like if you were to speak to me in person, but on camera it's very hard to sort of demonstrate that. So I felt like I had to show my passion. I really had to do everything I could to show that. And so I had to ask graduate recruitment about the hands. So I was like, can I do this? 
and they were like, "Yeah, you can. We want to do we, like um, somebody from Osborne Clark. Actually, she uses her hands as well. Graduate recruitment. So she was like, I use it, and I would love if you know um, if someone else used it. I was like, Yeah, yeah. This person's very energetic, and, and it sort of shows their personality. So I was like, Okay, fine. So um, yeah, but sometimes don't like it, and they they just said no. Just keep it under your bum if you could. I have heard. Um, pe- yeah, people say don't wave your hands around because it's distracting. But you know what I think? Like, I just think there's so many things that we have to worry about in these interviews, and then actually stopping your natural I know, energy right? is just another layer of things that you have to think about. So then you exactly. end up becoming more stiff. Like, oh, I can't move my hands, but I've got to yeah. give this answer. <laughs> and it, just, it makes life so hard. So I, I think that's brilliant. Yeah, I think that's great that the Osborne Clark were happy for you to move your hands <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean last year when I had the assessment center with them which I didn't succeed in that one I was that was in person and I was very very stiff I wasn't using my hands at all I was very yeah. stiff um and I felt like I, I, I just wasn't showing myself yeah and I don't think I understood what be yourself really meant it yeah. really means to be yourself like that's literally what it means um but then this time around I was like no I'm just gonna be myself and I think it helped for me that it was virtual some people obviously had differing opinions on this but I think doing an interview in the comfort of my own home really helped me because I just felt mm-hmm. like I had a water bottle next to me and um it was just just so so yeah. homey and I felt that just that that was really nice I agree but, I didn't I didn't mind having virtual interviews and it's it's not so daunting like you don't have to right. go up to the big building sit in reception yeah I, I, I don't know exactly you don't have to wear heels like I had to wear yeah. heels last year so I was yeah. Like, yeah whereas now I didn't I was just wearing my slippers they obviously didn't know that <laughs> yeah same I remember carrying a big bag because I wanted to wear heels but I had to come all the way from Essex so I had trainers as well and I was just just carrying so much stuff oh. and felt like bumbling around. So exactly. yeah, definitely good. Although I did wear heels in one of my interviews sat in my room just to try and make myself. Oh, did you? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, someone would like to do that. Yeah, yeah. Just I only did it on it. one. And then another one I wore post-levels. <laughs> yeah, I did. So yeah, I think when it um, comes to be yourself, be authentic, like show your natural personality. They won't know about it otherwise. They won't know that you're bubbly and that you're talkative if you don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've also heard from other people that you should be doing 80% of the talking in an interview. I actually agree with that. Um, So when I had the CMS interview, I kept talking, I kept talking and I felt like they were just noting stuff down, but then you sort of need to know when to obviously be quiet. You just can't, you know, because they've obviously got to keep, they got to ask you the next question. So, um, but yeah, when they say why us, you really need to be doing 80% of the talking there because you, you really need to do so much of the talking that they're like, okay, she's really passionate. Mm. you know she they, you really need to be able to tell them that you really want to work there and that they should choose you over somebody else you've got to show that passion because otherwise they won't know there's remember if you've got to the interview stage that's because they like you so far they liked your paper application the firm liked it they thought that you could fit in the culture now that's the time to actually show them that you can really fit in yeah. and that you really want to work there because you've worked so hard for the paper application spent hours on it weeks on it months on it probably you don't want to flop the interview just because you can't show yourself. Completely agree. Um, yeah. And just just one other question off the back of that. Yeah. So when when you say about how you want to show the passion for, your passion for the firm, and I assume that's in the why why us sort of question. Mm. Um, did you have like a set structure for how you answered that? Did you have like five bullet points? Was it three? Um, because when I you know I had many mentors when I was going through the process and they were all so helpful in in many different ways but I did have lots of conflicting advice about this particular thing some people would be like be concise we just want three just tell them three reasons be very snappy and then other mentors were like no you should tell them lots and I was just like oh I don't know which one to go with so yeah yeah in the end I, I went with the let's just give them more information but try and be concise on each point but what was your approach yeah, you know what, before I answer that question quickly, I'm going to say that I think like having the more mentors you have, the more conflicting advice you're going to have, just trying yeah. to keep it limited. I know I've, I've been there, um, but I'll come to that in a bit. But anyways, um, yeah, so in answer to your question, you were asking me about the um, structure, how, how many, yeah. Yeah, so when I was asked, yeah, exactly. So I sort of had, um, I had five bullet points, actually, because the first one was the fact that um, they specialize in technology. So I talked about their expertise in tech. I then talked about 
their innovation. I then talked about the culture of the firm. And obviously I supported all of these with, with points. So like I spoke to X person, you know, all that. Um, so yeah, that was culture. And then I spoke about diversity. That was cause that's very important to me. That's like at the heart of my, my, um, my life. And then the fifth one, oh no, probably was just four then. Yeah. But they were like really, really in depth though. So yeah. 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 Four bullet points. I think I stuck to that for all of them. Yeah. Um, obviously tailoring it, making sure I don't say CMS and Oswald Clark interview um, and vice versa. But otherwise, yeah, four four bullet points, but they were quite chunky. Oh, that's really helpful to know. Thank you um, for explaining that. It's all right. So I know that you previously attended an assessment centre for Osborne Clark, but were unsuccessful. Um, so what do you think changed this time round? How did you this time manage to turn it around and, and see success and get that vacation scheme offer? Yeah. Um, so Osborne Clark asked me, the first question they asked me at the partner interview was, why us? And I mentioned stuff like I spoke to, you know, a trainee at a legal cheek event and I really liked her and I really liked the culture. But do you know what? My answers were so vague and I didn't go into depth and I flopped. And I knew I, as soon as I walked out of the office, I was like, I could have done better. If I don't get this, I know why. Yeah. Um and so I didn't talk about their CSR stuff, you know, I, even though I'd researched, I had made so many bullet points for this firm because I, I wanted it so badly. Um, I had made so many bullet points, done so much research, like papers and papers worth of research. And, but I didn't show that. I didn't show off that. So I never mentioned their, their tech expertise. In fact, the most stupid question I asked at the interview at the end was, oh, um, I don't know if I want to say this, but you know what? I'll just say it just so that you guys don't do it again. <laughs> but I basically asked them, Oh, so who are your clients? Why did I ask that? So I asked, so the partner was a real estate partner. And I said to her, oh, so what kind of work do you do? Who are your clients? I never prepared, basically. That's not that's not a question you ask ever. You don't say who are your clients because that's something you should know before. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's something you should have researched. They were like, oh yeah, our clients are infrared and all that. And I was like, oh, okay. So I basically looked like somebody who did not do so much research into, that's not a question that you ask, basically. No, not a partner anyway. And then... um what else? Yeah. And also I, d- I didn't demonstrate any commercial awareness. So they, they were asking things about driverless vehicles. And I was supposed to be great at that because technology and, you know, all this driverless stuff I had been reading up on, but I never showed, I, I never, like, you know, I, I never showed myself and I should have, because I, I didn't realize that people say that you're not competitive at an assessment center, all of that stuff. Yes, of course, you're all trying to work together. But at the same time, you need to show them that you're the best. And I didn't do that. I thought they would just magically, you know, know that I'm, I'm good. How would they know that if you're not going to tell them, if you're not going to answer their questions properly? And I didn't do that. My questions were very, I, I think they were doing more of the talking than I was doing. It was more like an interview rather than a chat. And that was different this year because this year it was more like a chat. We were laughing. In fact, I had some of the partners on LinkedIn from before. So they know I post and they can see my post. I don't know if that's a good thing, but um, like every time I post, they, you know, they can see it. And we talked about that and it was, we had such a laugh and it was great. Whereas last year it was, it was more like a, literally like an interview. I was like, when am I going to get out? I was, I think I was sweating because I wasn't answering properly. I don't think I was showing I, don't, I wasn't showing off. I should have, of course. You need to show off. You need to sell yourself, right? And I wasn't doing that. I wasn't mentioning anything. Do you think your confidence levels increased this year? Yeah. Do you think that? Because it sounds to me like you were just quite nervous last year. I and was. this year you were just very confident in yourself and, and what you know and your abilities and you were able to therefore communicate that. Because I know what it's like, like in the first sort of in, like one or two interviews that I, I was in, sometimes you feel like a bit of a rabbit caught in headlights, don't you? And you just like to say what you can say and then stop stop talking sort of thing. But how do you think you improved your confidence? Yeah, because I felt like, because when I, when I attended that assessment centre, I never asked anybody what to expect. I never asked them what, what their experience was, things like that. So I literally jumped into this, this cave without knowing what was ahead of me. And that's bad. You shouldn't do that. Of course, you should try to do as much research as you can up until the assessment center, of course. Whereas this time I was like very, um, very active in trying to find out what exactly, what kind of tasks they're doing um, at the assessment center. I was trying to find out as much as I could basically. And I felt, I felt that really raised my confidence levels. I was like, okay, I, I probably know what I'm getting into. Um, and that really helped. But I think also in terms of networking, that really helped because now I'm just so talkative as opposed to last year. I feel like um, 
writing articles, posting on LinkedIn, things like this, just putting myself out there, attending networking events, really sort of gained, what is it? Like, I, I think it really increased my confidence levels. Mm-hmm. And as a result, at the firm, I, when I was speaking to these partners and lawyers and stuff, um, at the interview, sorry, I felt like we had a chat because I was also asking them questions. And it, it was nice. I was confident enough. I was confident enough to ask them questions. Whereas last year, I was like, oh, I just want to get out of this place now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that um, if you're not someone who has lawyers in the family or wider yeah. family, friends, etc., you can sort of put them on a pedestal. And when you go to these assessment centres, be quite nervous. But I think that's where networking comes in very handy because the more lawyers you speak to, the more it just becomes sort of normal to you. And that's you don't right. kind of put people on a pedestal and you're therefore able to actually have more of a, a chat rather than feeling like you're being interrogated necessarily. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay, Um, and yeah, my final question in relation to interviews and and applications is commercial awareness. Now, what was your approach for developing your commercial awareness? Yeah, of course. So this isn't something that you can develop overnight, and I'm sure everybody would know that by now, um, especially those who are like, you know, literally in this trying to apply uh, to firms. They'd know that commercial awareness isn't a skill that you can get um just by sleeping for eight hours or or something so I started off by reading simple stuff like BBC the business sections of those because when I first read the FT I didn't understand words like dividends and you know all these words that were that were coming up this terminology you know um about the economy and things like that I didn't understand them so I was like no no I need to start from somewhere small so I started from the BBC Sky News these I looked at the business sections and um, I remember one story about Poundland, about how their shares dropped or something. I was like, okay. And I didn't know what shares was at the time. This was like a couple of years before. So I was like, okay, let me read. And I, so, so I kept reading this BBC stuff and Sky News and the business sections of them. When I got comfortable, I then started reading the FT. But I know not everybody likes that. And I don't read the FT every day. So um, I started reading Watson Daily. So I, I sort of basically, there were all these li- different commercial awareness sources that were coming up, like the Business Insider, Bloomberg and all these um, stuff. But you sort of have to select which one works for you. They're not all supposed to work for you. In fact, some people don't even like reading. They like watching and that's fine. You can watch stuff instead. Some people like podcasts, so you can listen to stuff instead. And a lot of friends do that of mine. Um, but I personally like reading. So I had to sort of select which one I like. So which which language sort of um I can resonate with or I can understand easily so now I do like FT but I think even before that even before I get get to FT I like Watson's Daily because what Watson's Daily does is sort of summarizes everything right summarizes the story so once I know what the overall story is the FT then becomes easier to read because I'm like oh yeah I know what's and I know what's what the FT is about to say because I've read this on Watson Daily because it, it did the summary so I felt like reading a summary helps me and then reading the full-on FT article for example um is a good follow-up so yeah but to develop my commercial awareness I also started this whole group chat on commercial awareness last year I had to stop because I basically was doing too much and I had to sort of like uh, calm down (laughs) so I was like yeah stop this but um that commercial awareness group chat was really helpful in the sense that you were finding out stories and then summarizing them for other people when you're summarizing for other people you're also summarizing for yourself because you're getting a structure in your head right and so that really helped. And writing articles, I was writing articles as well on commercial awareness. That helped because that meant I was going out of my way to research stuff and then formulating an article. So I, th- I felt like writing articles was really, really paramount. Not just writing articles, by the way, but like writing posts on like WhatsApp group chat. Having a discussion with your peers really helps with commercial awareness. Yeah. I feel like you won't, sometimes it's really hard to understand um, a story, but just by discussing it, you realise there are other perspectives to this story perspectives that not not every source mentions because you know these sources are sometimes biased so they'll just say one side of the story but then when you talk to other people you'll realize oh yeah I never thought about that there are differing opinions and as a lawyer it's very important that we consider everybody's opinions and um sort of look at different perspectives and look at one thing from different angles so I felt that was that was really key but to start off I started with BBC Sky and then turned to Watson's Daily for a quick summary and then I go to read FT. Great. Yeah, thank you for providing such a detailed breakdown of how you approach it. Because, again, when I was uh, going through the process, I ended up, like, subscribing to loads of different 
like say sources and stuff and it just gets too much so I like I really like how you just cut out all the noise and you just focused on the things that work for you um yeah brilliant so let's move on to speak about legal diversity now um yeah I, I touched on this in the introduction this is a platform that you've set up to help promote diversity in the legal profession I wondered if you could just tell the listeners a little bit more about about the platform yeah, so um, legal diversity is something we created um, to promote diversity in the legal profession. And it's quite different to diversity initiatives that you see um, around. So like aspiring solicitors and rare recruitment. It's quite different because this one sort of aims to share stories as well of, of, of aspiring lawyers. And I don't think any other platform does that yet, um, where they you know publish articles on, on personal life experiences and how diversity is important to them so that's one way but we're also sort of where we want to really expand and sort of um, look at what students really want aspiring lawyers what they really want and especially those that have diverse backgrounds so mentoring schemes um, things like that we're really trying to sort of get that on board and I don't want to say too much because obviously I want to keep the excitement but um, we really yeah it's, it's basically a platform that's designed to help people get into the profession and link them up with other individuals who might be able to help and how can listeners get involved with legal diversity oh um so we always have content writers so we always take on uh, new content writers so those that um want to share their own story they can do and we have events where we invite um legal professionals so we're hoping to invite barristers as well and you know people from the criminal field um not just commercial not not just commercial law because we're obviously aware that not every lawyer wants to become a commercial lawyer so we're trying to be as much mm. um what is it as as much as inclusive as uh, inclusive as we can mm. so we're trying to get um, loads of events on board so these people can attend those events and ask questions and learn more about the other fields because i feel like a lot of people just come into commercial awareness thinking about the prestige about the money things like that but they don't really want to come in there because they want to so i feel like getting to know different fields different areas of law getting exposure to them is really important so i feel like they can attend those events in the coming future brilliant i think that's really important um to yeah try and show all the different areas of law because mm. you are right there does seem to be um well not so much when i was at university which was a while ago but um I don't know if it's now like people just seem all the events like the law fairs they all seem to be commercial law focused all of them. Right? yeah you're right all yeah of them. So it's, think, yeah it's, it's a shame um so there was like this gap that I wanted to fill basically because it was all about commercial law yeah. um and I thought no 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 there, there are other people who don't want to just go into commercial law they're obviously looking at family law and criminal law I've had so many people contact me that do you know any family law lawyers and I'm like no not yet because obviously my like majority of my network is commercial law but I'm trying to change that because of legal diversity I really want to sort of get people on board that aren't commercial um law lawyers yeah. so yeah I think yeah. that's why it would if, if there's anybody listening to the show get in touch with Nikra who yeah yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah that brings me on to my very last question um <clears throat> where can listeners connect with you they can connect me on LinkedIn brilliant yeah on linkedin i'm also on instagram but i don't really um post anything law related on that i think um sure. not much anyway but linkedin's linkedin's great i always um reply to messages well I try to anyway but yeah so yeah that brings us to the end of the questions but we do need to reveal the answer to two truths and a light legal edition now Ikri, you said that you believe the the lie was it's illegal to for a lady to eat chocolates on a public transport on public transport unfortunately that is a law in in england and wales so you can't eat chocolate on a train anymore or what? yeah i don't know if taxi is that public transport yeah can you believe it it's against the law seriously since when oh do you know i don't really know um i feel like it's a really old law oh okay it's very old. It's obviously, it's not enforced, I don't think. It's like, it's, you must carry a bale of hay in your vehicle at all times. That's also enforced. So by, you know, I'm about to drive my car soon. I don't have a bale of hay. So I'm going to be breaking the law. I don't either. Um, but yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. We're all criminals in some aspect, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> we are. It's just hard to escape. <laughs> oh wow. Okay. I never knew that. <laughs> 
Yeah, so the lie was it is illegal to fall asleep lying down in a cheese shop. You can sleep in a cheese shop if you want to do that. It's fine. <laughs> Breaking any rules. But if you go to Illinois or South Dakota, you, that's illegal there. So you can't mm. lie down in the cheese shop and go to sleep. But in South Dakota, you can fall asleep as long as you're standing up in a cheese shop. <laughs> <laughs> Not lying down. Oh, God, he's going to do that. I don't know. Crazy laws. I don't know. I don't know who made these up. They're obviously having a laugh. Well, imagine people actually created, wrote this down, like sat down to, for this law to be passed. I know. Obviously, they had nothing better to do. Oh god. <laughs> well, thanks for letting me know that. Okay. Oh, I'm about to eat chocolate on the train today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh gosh, can't believe it. Anyway, thank you to everyone for tuning in. Um, thank you to Ikra for being such an amazing guest and for imparting so much wisdom and I'd like to say very unique advice. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for that. Um, and yeah, if, if you're watching this on YouTube, please do subscribe to the channel and give us a like and hit the bell notifications to be updated anytime we release a video. And if you're listening to this on a podcast platform, then please share it with anyone that you think might find it helpful. But yeah, thank you, Ikra. See you in the next one. This episode is sponsored by the University of Law. What really sets the University of Law apart from other universities is its belief that its students should learn in a realistic, professional and contemporary context. They focus exclusively on practice-based training and give students access to their extensive career service and jobs vacancy database as soon as they accept a place. Through the University of Law's Pro Bono program, law students can hone their skills by working on real cases before they graduate. The University of Law offers a range of postgraduate legal training and master's degrees designed by qualified experts to help students advance at any stage of their career. Their courses are employment focused, honing key skills in a teaching environment based on real legal practice. Part-time and online study options are also available on many of their courses to help students work and study at the same time. The University of Law will help you reach your ambitions by delivering an outstanding academic and employment focused experience, honing key skills in a teaching environment based on real legal practice. As soon as you begin your studies with ULaw, you'll learn how to think and act like a lawyer. Whether your aspirations are in law or other fields, their courses will balance academic rigour and practical skills so your career starts from day one. To find out more about the courses they have on offer, just click the link in the description box of the podcast. To hear more of the Student Lawyers podcast, hit the subscribe button and leave us a star rating and review. If you would like to join the Student Lawyer as a writer, please email hello at thestudentlawyer.com.